Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the the beauty of the morning that the heavens declare your glory and the skies proclaim your handiwork. It's an amazing thing that we can see evidence of your nature, your goodness, your kindness to us in the morning sky. We pray that our hearts would be full with thankfulness that you are good to us and that your mercy endures forever. Morning by morning it is renewed every day. And so we we want to bask in that and be thankful for that and live as those who have been forgiven much. Uh, we pray this morning that your um, that your word would do what it's supposed to do in us, which is to challenge us and shape us and conform us to the image of Jesus, making us love him more, see the beauty that he is, and uh, and to crave and thirst and hunger after Him and His righteousness more than anything else. We ask that you would make that alive in our hearts this morning by your Spirit. And then it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, we are uh, we're still in Leviticus. Uh, we're in Leviticus 5 this morning. Leviticus 5. And <clears throat> it's going to be not the whole chapter but just through verse uh, 13 this morning. So let's read it, uh, and then we'll talk about it. Verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. If anyone sins, and that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of of unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, Or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, an offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer the first one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar while the rest of the blood shall be drained out At the base of the altar, it is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, he shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as its memorial portion and burn this on the altar 
on the Lord's food offerings, it is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven, and the remainder shall be for the priest as in the grain offering. All right, what we have here are examples of where the sin offering would be applicable, specific examples. And remember last time, when we talked about the sin offering, we talked about uh, sins of omission and commission, right? Here we have examples of, of commission. Um, last time we, we talked about all people's sin from the high priest to the common person of the land, that even unintentional acts can be sinful, and God makes a way for His people to be justified while maintaining His justices, justice. What are the three instances we see here? What are the three instances we see here? An oath, uncleanness, and and a witness, or not giving a witness, a lack thereof. Okay, you have uh, not testifying, basically failing to deal properly with ritual impurity, which is something culturally they were dealing with, and then making a rash oath. Let's look at the first one, omission number one, or yeah, this would be omission. Last time we talked omission, specifically. The phrase, a public adjuration to testify, more literally means a proclamation of an imprecatory oath. What is that? What are we talking about here? What's going on? What kind of circumstance is the text dealing with? Like a jury, like a uh, courtroom? Yeah, you've got a guy who could give testimony in a matter, evidence of something and refuses to do it or fails to do it when the call for that comes forward. He withholds exposing the truth of the matter. And what happens? What does it say? He's guilty of that. He didn't do anything. He's just not offering what he knows. The idea here, this would be a sworn statement with a threat of harm to the witness who knows something and fails to testify, and or a threat of harm, the imprecatory thing that the language talks about, or a threat of harm to the guy who committed the crime. Okay, so you have two warnings here of guilt, of punishment. Um, what's in view here is when a person ignores a call to testify in court, adjuration is like a summons. If you get a, you get something, you know, you will appear at 8 a.m. Smith County Courthouse to testify. You know, whatever, and you ignore that, the authorities take a very dim view of that. And you can get in trouble for that. What's well, the same kind of deal here? It's a guilt. Why is it a big deal? Because by not testifying, you are testifying. By not testifying, you are testifying. What do you mean by that? Um, when you know the truth, you could say, mm-hmm. and you don't, because you're saying, uh, you're saying plenty. Okay. It's kind of like lying. It's kind of like lying. Not exactly committing to action, but allowing, potentially allowing an untruth to be believed and you have handed it. It says, such a person shall bear his iniquity. There's a punishment involved for withholding evidence, an omission here. Uh, Proverbs 29, 24 says, the partner of a thief hates his own life. 
He hears the curse or the oath, but discloses nothing. He hates his own life. The one who refuses to give testimony is as bad as a thief. Why? Why does it say that? Because you're robbing justice. You're, you're, disclose, you're failing to disclose an honest testimony to, so that justice will be in the land. And an individual bears a responsibility for that by the information that he's withholding. God places a premium on justice, right action. And this is a very fundamental part of that. Does somebody know something to, um, to facilitate justice? To avoid the punishment here, what does the sinner have to do? He has to do sacrifice. Is that it? Is that it? to confess it. Interesting. What's the second omission? Uncleanness. Now, this is always a weird one to me. This is more of a cultural thing, I think, at this point. God, God setting up Israel to be a distinct nation by certain ritual clean, cleanliness laws. Verses 2 and 3 involve those who fail to deal with ritual impurity. If someone becomes ritually impure, they enter into a state that disqualifies them from participating at, in the tabernacle rituals. They can't do the fellowship offering. They're impure. This involves a situation where they may have done the offerings even though they're ritually impure. And so, what's the consequence of that? What, what has happened because they're going into the tabernacle ritually impure? What have they done? They've defiled the tabernacle. Because you got to touch a dead animal on occasion, right? That's not the sin. The sin is not being clean when you go into the house of the Lord. you got to carry a dead body to, to, to bury it sometimes. But not being clean when you go into the tabernacle, that's the issue. Wash that off. Come into Him clean, purging yourself of that stuff. All right. This this uh, first one is looking at um, uh, the 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 uh, the animal, and we'll talk. I mean, there are all kinds of specific laws that we'll get into late, later. But in each of these situations, they haven't dealt with it either because they were unaware that they touched a dead animal. In Texas, that can happen with armadillos. You just they're everywhere, so you just don't know. Sometimes you trip over them. What was that? A stump or something? But they remember it later or become aware of it and God makes provision for them to purge that. To purge that. Conscience. To purge their conscience. Alright, there's the unclean animal. There's also the human uncleanness. And we get into a whole bunch of that in chapters 12 through 15, 17, 18. And this is just by touching an unclean person. Uh, and, and, and it's the same kind of idea. It's ritual purity that is involved there. What, what do they do? What's, what's required of them? Yes. Confess and sacrifice. sacrifice. Okay. Omission number four. There's a rash oath. A rash oath. What is that? What's a rash oath? You think of any examples? Promises. Promises you can't keep, but you make them in the heat of the moment? Can you think of any... Yes. 
That is the most bizarre story to me. Like, yeah. Uh, it, it, w- w- just generally, what we have in view here is speaking carelessly and foolishly out of out of uh, out of anger or impulse, and they invoke the name of the Lord in doing so, and then don't do it. Well, what are they saying? Failure to keep the oath was to profane the Lord's name. You invoked God's name. I will do this. If I, as the Lord lives, I will this, that, and the other. If they fail to do it, it's like they're saying that God's not able to judge effectively. He's not enough, so to speak. Uh, Psalm 15.4, whoever swears to his own hurt and does not change is the, is the right one that, that Psalms, uh, the Psalm 15 talks about. This oath is one spoken impulsively and the oath taker may be unable to comply with the oath or may have forgotten it. Do we do that? Walking up and down, uh, up and down the corridors of this church. I'll be praying for you, brother. Do we do that? I would say also, if you think about it, marriage too, in, especially in our culture today, mm-hmm. it's a rash oath. Well, that's a nine-month planning for a rash oath. But you're right. I mean, they, you they, say before God. Yes. Till death do us part. And then, oh, this person isn't who I thought they were. Let's get a divorce. Right. Well, there's that or other elements of unfaithfulness. Right. Tammy mentioned uh, Judge, Judges 11. I thought about this too last night. When, you know, Judge 11, Judges 11 talks about this guy named uh, Jephthah. And he, he, he was a judge and he, you know, some of the enemies were coming. He... He um, wins the battle and in his... Or he says, I will sacrifice the first thing I see when I come home if the Lord gives me the battle. This is the thing. And so he wins. He comes home. It's a big celebration. And as he's walking to his house, his daughter comes out. He's like 14 or something. Comes out. Daddy! No! What? You, what? But I said this thing. And she, he tells her. She weeps. And it says, give me two months to weep for my virginity before you sacrifice me because of your rash oath. Now I'm thinking, was there no priest familiar with the law? I mean, not even that far into Leviticus chapter 5, we see there's a way to deal with the rash oath. God's made provision. Oh, but I'm going to do it because I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. What? And he, does. and he does. And they say, and the and the and the women of Israel every year would weep for so many weeks or whatever in remembrance of the daughter of Jephthah. What craziness is that? What irrationality is that? He he relented. Yeah, he says, if a man eats before I've had vengeance on my enemies, he shall be killed. And so, Jonathan's out in the woods, sees a honeycomb, and he tasted of it, and it brightened his eyes, it says. Because honey's just that good. And it brightens his eyes, gives him strength, and he goes on and does some, some more pretty awesome slaughtering. Because Jonathan was pretty awesome. I mean, he and his armor bearer took down a bunch of... Anyways, great story. Um, if we ever get to you know Samuel. Um, so, it, it was a great deal. And then... 
Saul says the same thing, or, or the you know your father said whatever, and and he Jonathan challenges Saul in front of everybody. If you hadn't been an idiot, your whole army could have done this because they'd have had something to eat and they could have killed all your enemies for you. What what are you doing? And so he relented from it. They didn't weep, Jonathan. You know, for ages to come, it was okay. So there's that issue of there's the law. God makes provision for our irrational oaths. And Jephthah just, I don't, I don't understand. Did nobody tell him of this? It's just amazing to me. But anyway, there it is. Verses 5 and 6. In each of these situations, what does God provide for us to make it right? What does He provide? Sacrifice and what? We're introduced to a new element here. Confession. What is confession? Admission of guilt. Repentance. Literally, confession here means to throw open and reveal. And it's more than a mere admission of sin. It's also an acknowledgement and recognition of one's culpability. I'm guilty for the deed. Confession goes beyond acknowledging the wrong, but moves on to correcting the wrong where possible, making it right. It's an admission without restraint or caveat. Remember Psalm 51. Against you and you only have I sinned. There was no caveat in David's repentance. But she really looked good when I was looking down from you know the rooftop. There was no, there's no I'm sorry, but. It's just, I'm wrong. You're right. That's confession. Here, the sinner not only admits the sin, but does whatever possible to make it right. And he must seek full restitution from the Lord by bringing a female from the flock, lamb or goat. Notice that there's no difference. Lamb or goat. Just want to bring that out to you. And the offering is there to make atonement for him. Once he freely admits his guilt, then he may offer a sin offering for purification. Notice God's provision here too in the offerings. It starts from the most expensive again to the least expensive, right? Why? He's meeting them where they're at. He's meeting them where they are. And he's gracious to do so. First we see the, the, the lamb or the, the female goat. I noticed that none of the ESV, or none of the English translations ever say, bring a nanny. I mean, that's, they always say female goat. So it would be more culturally accurate. Um, those unable to afford a flock animal could bring two doves or two young pigeons, a purification or a guilt, a sin offering and a burn offering. Now, we saw in chapter 4 that the regular sin or purification offerings consisted generally of three things. The blood on the altar the fat on the altar and meat for the priest, right? Generally, except whenever it's a priest sin and congregation. But that generally was the, was the issue. How are you going to get fat from a bird enough for this kind of offering? Big bird. A big bird. <laughs> two pigeons, two doves. We have banties at our house. Those little bitty chickens, you know, a couple of those. Too. They wouldn't even make an appetizer 
medieval times. Medieval times. <laughs> <laughs> we already had forbidden for birds previously. Right. Uh, did they not put the whole thing when you just burn the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. Is it not the same here? It's a different it's a different deal. They have two. Right. And and the thought here, some of the smart guys uh, have thought that if you if you have the first bird for the blood and the meat, and the second bird was kind of a substitute for the fat that should be there, that's kind of the way it is. I wonder how many times they tried to wring it off the neck off just right where it didn't come off. Ah, give me another one. You know, it keeps. Sorry, you have, I'm sure some. Error. Thank you. Thank you. There's provision for that. There's provision. Okay. Um, whatever the issue, these two birds led to the same result: atonement and forgiveness for the sinner. But if you can't even afford a bird, what's the third option? What does he do? Grain, fine flour. Those who cannot afford birds could bring a sin offering of grain. This is the only instance we have of a non-animal, non-animal sin offering or purification offering. It's the only instance of this. What a gracious provision for the poor. They wouldn't even be able to afford two birds. You must be in some pretty desperate straits. But God makes provision for that. Why would He do this? What does it tell you about the nature of God? He's very gracious. He wants to make sure that all his people, rich or poor, can worship him equally. All right, what's the difference in this grain offering and the one we saw in chapter 2? What's missing? Do you remember? Oil and frankincense. Why? The oil is here with frankincense, isn't it? No, it says no oil and no frankincense here. Oil and frankincense are Oil and frankincense are expensive. But also, there's the issue of if you're bringing a grain offering and it has all the right elements, it's no different than chapter 2. It's just a consecration offering. But if you don't have the oil and frankincense, the priest says, where's oil and frankincense? What's this? Mm -hmm. What does that cause you to have to do? To confess. Smell good. <laughs> Don't make your sin smell good. It also has them offering it with the burnt offering, a normal another person's burnt offering, because without the oil and frankincense, it's not going to burn very well anyway. But it, I think yes, it doesn't. It, there's an idea of it not smelling as good. But there's also the the distinction made so that the person who's they can't go under the radar with a grain offering. There has to be confession there of the sin, and that causes again. Um, the the the, um, the 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 inability to hide it, and it's consistent. It keeps them consistent with that requirement for confession. All right. So in essence, it's not the blood of the animals that God wants. It's a broken and repentant heart. We see this in uh, in Hosea six six. It says, "For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings." Again, it's after. The heart. He's after the heart. This is a provision for them in their time, in their culture, a picture toward Christ, but the ultimate issue is the heart. It's the same after the cross. If we confess our sin, 
He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, forgive our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession, again, is the same issue after the cross. Why? Why is confession important here? What's the big deal? Sin is irrational, isn't it? It reflects the change of heart. Okay. If you're, if you're, willing, to, if you're willing to put it out there and you're willing to correct the wrong and basically not do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it displays where the heart is. Exactly. Yeah. I think it also lifts God up because um, admitting that we sin lowers us down and says, God, you are right. Mm-hmm. You are worthy of that elevation and that praise to tell us what to do. So it, it's, a, it's a form of worship. It's a form of worship. It's a form of recognizing that He's God and I'm not. Because when I'm sinning, I'm God, He's not. Exactly. Um, it's irrational. It's a disconnect from reality. We spend our time justifying our actions. This is why I did this. How can I help but do this? I need this rather than obey God. Taking something many times that is for our good, created for our good, and twisting it into something rebellious and evil. Sin is irrational. We take the thing that's good. Paul talks about this about the law, doesn't he? When I learn not to covet, sin sees the opportunity and cause death in me. We take something good, sin in us takes something good and twists it and causes it to destroy us. So many people focus on Satan as being our main enemy. You know, the devil, this, he's out, you know, he's in the government, whatever. Which I'm not disagreeing with that. But <laughs> Satan doesn't damn us to hell. God damns us to hell for unrepentant sin. Our biggest enemy is sin. A nature that wants to be God. You'll be as He is, knowing and determining and deciding what's good and evil. Sin snares us with two lies that are divorced from reality. The first lie would be something like this. I can't kick this. I despair of my ability to do this. And rather than try anymore, I'm just going to give in and get numb to it so that I don't have to deal with the, the, the weight of the sin that I know is there. So it's irrational. Rather than run to God, we run from Him and we just live in it and get numb and hardened and unrepentant. Yes? Yeah. And the response to that is don't presume upon the kindness of God. He he isn't required to grant us repentance because that is a gift of his. He's not required to do it. Don't presume by our sin that God will grant us repentance. Philip says this often and it's it's a sobering thought. Every sin is an opportunity to prove that you were never in Christ to begin with because he may not grant you repentance. 
So there's that lie. I'm just going to live in it. I'm going to marinate in it. I'll get numb to it. And that's the way I'm going to deal with it. Christ is not enough to give me victory here, so I'll despair and keep doing it until I'm no longer convicted. I numb my conscience with the pleasures of sin to hide from my despair. That's lie number one. Lie number two would be this. I can do this. Right? I can do this. I can beat the consequences of this if I look good enough on the outside. I do all the Christian stuff and convince people that I know a lot of good theology. All the while, I keep nursing this false reality that I can kick this addiction through self-effort. I let everybody know I'm reading, reading the latest book from Kevin DeYoung, Francis Chan, John Piper. I take something good and I twist it to mask my own sin. I take something good and it becomes a ruin to me. Sin in me takes what is good and uses it to mask the real problem. Even, even further, I'll get really good at pointing out the failures and flaws in others. It's a good lie. Why would we do that? Is that my phone? Ah, uh, I thought, man, this is like an altar call. Well, a night chorus of just as I am. All right, Let's get revved up, man. Just... Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Build ourselves up. What does it say in Titus? To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. And spot everybody else's flaw. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. I may say the words I need to fade the heat. Someone calls me on my sin, but I still nurse it, coddle it, and refuse to kill it. It's irrational. And if it continues, unrepentant sin will kill me. It will kill me. But there's Christ pleading. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Christ offers Himself as the guilt penalty, the compensation. Further, He purchases for His people a repentant heart. What God commands, He provides because He's gracious. That's why it's so frightening when we see people trapped in unrepentance. That's why it's frightening when I get trapped in unrepentance. He provides it. What? It's, it's only Him that can do it. If I'm not repenting, what does that mean? Where does that lead me? Was I ever truly in Him? See, it messes with your assurance, this lie, this irrationality. Confession is embracing what is real. It embraces what is real. God, you're holy, and I'm not. You provided Christ for me, and I need Him every hour. Confession embraces reality. Where are you? Where am I? 
Is your heart hardened before the holiness of God? Is it unrepentant in the presence of His kindness? Christians need the gospel too. We need it. Trust Christ alone, not your ability to work up a Christian persona or to do things better this time. Trust Him. Trust Him and in His strength see through the irrational lies of sin and put it to death. Put it to death. Any comments or questions? I, wow, it's only five after. Mm-hmm. component of, of I mean they had to bring stuff to the priest right. so there was you know their best friend would know oh okay you're going to the priest to confess there was some level of accountability because sure. of the way that that was set up and I think I think we have to kind of work at that in building relationships with Christians and people <coughs> who will hold us accountable because it's real easy to go to church and to, to kind of be anonymous and to kind of just be surface level and we all say, you know, oh, we're fine. Yeah, I had a great mm-hmm. week. And, mm-hmm. and we never get past that sometimes. Right. And I, and I think we ha- have to get past that, not with everybody, but we have to each have somebody that we can go to that we can be real with. Yeah, and that they accept us as real, and they encourage us and right. hold us accountable. You talk about the persona that we put on. Um, if sin is irrational, it, sometimes people who are just crazy look really normal until you start talking to them a little bit more. You know, and 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 you see that. But how many times in our own sin are we the irrational ones and somebody starts probing our heart and it's like, that's not real. Don't you realize what you're doing is justifying your action? It's that same kind of idea of someone who thinks that their house is bugged and somebody keeps stealing their soap, you know, or something. I don't know. But that's why we need each other. We're supposed to live in community and build each other up in love. Mm. And, and to be willing... To be vulnerable that way. That's a dangerous thing, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'm getting kind of... I don't know about all that business. But you have to. You have to. When we start trying to pull away and get all secretive with our stuff, you know, and, well, I'm good over here. That should be a red flag to us where our heart is. Yeah, that's part of the, the confession. Like, you have to, because the priest may not know that you accidentally trip over a dead armadillo, but when you realize that that's some cleanliness, you have to tell the priest, and that way, you know, he can assess it. And, uh, it reminds me of James 5, where, like, you have to go to your brother and confess mm-hmm. because they don't know the sin that you're dealing with, and then they can help you get better. Yeah. So. Yep. It's a. It's a very humbling thing, isn't it? Here's a first question Stu talks about um, how we should leave, you know, if we die with Christ, then we should leave behind that elemental human precepts do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Mm-hmm. 
And I like that it goes on and says, you know, basically these things have the appearance of wisdom in that there is severity to the body, mm-hmm. self-promoting religion, and these things make no provision for the interests of the flesh. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the beautiful things, too, about accountability and about marriage is that I feel like I should wear a shirt that says Recovering Pharisee all the time, and mm-hmm. my husband knows me enough to be like, sweetie, I, I think, you know, maybe that's not the substance. And so right. the Colossians before that says, you know, these things are shadow of things to come, that the substance belongs to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the accountability part is beautiful. It's the substance, you know, mm-hmm. the heart belongs to Christ, and only He can give us a heart of newness. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and that's like the part of the accountability part is that the priest doesn't say, "Well, just follow the law more." Like, no, He like cleanses you and purifies. Like, your your heart gets cleansed and purified, and it's not like, "Oh, here's your other set of rules." So yeah. Go do better next time. But it's like it. I can't remember what book you quoted, but uh, it's all a, of them. It's the heart thing. Yeah. It is the heart thing, and yet in 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 that there is an element too of if you know a road is scattered with armadillos, take a different road, right? There, it, that's not law. That's just wisdom. For us, it's our home road because apparently those little suckers come out at night and there's a guy apparently hits one every night. It's kind of a thing. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's cool with these sacrifices how Jesus is all part. Mm-hmm. He, he is the sacrifice. He is the priest. Mm-hmm. And he took on our sin as the one who needed the sacrifice. Right, right. And, I mean, it's just a cool picture yeah. to, to see that he was the fullness of all of this. Right. The substance. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, sir. I have a sure. Um, this has a lot to do uh, with well, the way I, I guess we feel because it happens to me a lot in um, situations where I do something that I know is wrong, mm-hmm. and then I feel convicted about it, as in, okay, this is I know in my heart this is wrong, and I need to ask for forgiveness. To in comparison to other situations where I have been, okay, I did this. Um, wrong thing and I know in my heart that it's wrong but I don't feel kind of this. I don't feel guilty for it. I don't feel it. guilty or mm-hmm. you know kind of this like sad or yeah so I, I haven't cried the requisite amount of tears over this issue. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I just think sometimes I just think of, think of these often mm-hmm. crying without even finding repentance. Yeah. It freaks me out a lot of times. Sure. And it should. It's meant to. It's meant to because part of what Christ is redeeming is not just how we think, but how we feel. He came to redeem the whole man, our, our reason and our emotions. And if our emotions are not um, a, a revulsion to our sin, a weeping over the uh, trouncing on the image of God because of what we've done, that too is an element of prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. It's an emo- there's an emotional component to it. I'm not saying you can't repent without a bunch of tears. Obviously you can, or we'd all be hosed. But that's part of our fallenness, is that we are not broken emotionally. We may, we may confess the, ra- the rationality, but the emotion connecting with it many times may not be there. Doesn't mean we don't confess. 
doesn't mean we don't pray, God, give me the right heart. Not just the right thoughts, but the right heart for that. Because there's an emotional component too to, to fighting for holiness. I don't want to do that. I mean, if you have a revulsion to it, as opposed to, well, no God created me to live this way, but, you know, probably shouldn't do it, and I'm going to have to repent for it, and, you know. No. He's angry with a sinner all day long. We should be too. Be angry and do not sin. Right? There's an emotional element to that. But it starts with confession. It starts with, with you're right, I'm wrong, create in me my need to, to feel it. Um, there's a, I think many times we're so trapped in the, in the reason of it that we forget there's an experiential nature to Christianity, to what God has called us to be. And that is an, there's an emotional component to it that we just, I think, gloss over way too often. But that's a good question, good point. All right. Now I'm going to pray. Again and again and again when we read Leviticus, Lord, we realize the depth of our depravity that we don't even repent right. We can't even make the good confession right. And yet you, in your grace, meet us where we are. Would you teach us to trust Jesus more? To love Him more? To emotionally have a revulsion to anything that would um, paint the picture, just the idea that He is not worth our entire heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you do that work in us that only you can do by your Spirit? That the effort that we make to keep from sin would not be the end of it. That it would not be our self-strength, our self-righteousness, but that it would be born of a love of Jesus and a a submission to His authority as our King. And that in doing so, we would display His worth because He is so much greater than the irrationality, the craziness that we would buy into to get the pleasures of sin. May we be a community that supports one another that challenges one another, that doesn't let us get away with crazy, but encourages, rebukes when necessary, and yet loves in truth. Father, we thank You for this great gift that You've given us in the body of Christ. Born of our great High Priest laying His life down for His bride. May we love her as he loves her and guard her from our own sin and work toward holiness and purity born of a heart that loves Jesus more than anything else. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.